I was working with Mark McGuire with the St. Louis Cardinals, when I fail or don't come through, make an error or strike out or something like that, I don't criticize myself. I analyze myself. Hmm. Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Um, he said you got to learn to love the players to really be able to coach the players. So when I learn how to, you know, deal with each player, then I learn how to coach them. I mean, I may scream at one guy, another guy I might pat him on the back and give him, um, you know, that little love. Some guys you give tough love to, some guys you're not as hard on because they just can't take that type of coaching. Balance plus extension equals damage. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We are here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We're excited to announce that the Farm System Podcast is now sponsored by Lipkey Pro. Joey, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about Lipkey? Lipkey Pro. Man, it's just here in the nick of time to save coaches from going crazy about getting their fielders in the proper fielding position. Lipkey is a defensive tool designed to force players into proper hand and body placement. I can't tell you how much time it saved me as an infield coach by not having to reiterate the same form over and over and over and over again. As coaches know, you know, we can't be around watching every single rep. We got other things to do. It's reassuring to know that Lipkey Pro promotes muscle memory throughout the entire practice. And here soon, we'll be releasing a promotional code so that you guys can get your hands on the Lipkey Pro at a discounted price. Just one benefit from being a listener of the Farm System. We also would like to give a shout out to Surge Supplements for sponsoring the Farm System's first weekly giveaway. Surge is in the business of elevating athletes along their strength journey. Don't forget to use the discount code THEFARM, all caps, for 20% off at SurgeSupplements.com. And a very special shout out to our boy Sheets over at ABCA. He's been an intricate piece to our development of this podcast and has enabled us to serve you, the listener. We can't thank you enough. Thank you again. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we're open to now taking in sponsorships for our podcast. If this service is something that you're interested in, make your way over to our newly launched website, thesystem.farm. What is that again, Joey? I said thesystem.farm, Bo. Jeez, listen. When you get there, go to our service tab and you'll see a link for our sponsorship document. If you're interested in any of the packages offered, contact us through our website or through any of our social media accounts. Also, fellas, I don't want you to miss out on the development train. Sign up for our mailing list where you can receive newsletters, emails, discount codes from our sponsors, and exclusive announcements from our podcast. Fellas, that was the system.farm. Don't miss out on the development. We are also overwhelmed with the success of episode one. We eclipsed over 150 downloads in 24 different states and four countries. Who would have thought that we would make it overseas? Also, we appreciate the love on social media. It's awesome how engaged our audience is. With only nine posts on Instagram and 24 tweets, to have this kind of response back is outstanding. We hear your guys' voice and can't wait to grow with you listeners. Guys, on this episode, we connect you with a 14-year MLB veteran. 
a man of 28 years of coaching. He coached for the Milwaukee Brewers, Boston Red Sox, St. Louis Cardinals, Los Angeles Dodgers, and the New York Mets. He was an MLB All-Star, World Series champion, and has a career batting average of 293. He also had over 1,000 hits and received votes for MVP. Now, Bo, if that's not a resume, I don't know what is. I could not agree more with you, Joey. Without further ado, here's Mike. Mike, uh, we really appreciate you taking time to sit down with us today on your busy schedule um, and, and, you know, sitting down with us here on the farm system. Well, I'm happy to be here, Joey. And, um, you know, I love talking baseball. That's what I do. That's my life. I've been in it about too many years, about 40, 50 years almost. You just got perspective, Mike. Perspective. That's what we like to call it. I guess. I guess you could call it that. I think my, I'm brain dead from baseball, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. You're the definition of been there and done that. The experience you've gained can provide tremendous insight and perspectives to coaches anywhere along the developmental path. No, no problem, Bo. No problem. You know, it's just been a lifelong of baseball. I started in high school, you know, and I, I knew I loved the game then. And I said I just wanted to further my career. And I just knew that I could get to the next level. But I knew it would take a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment, a lot of pain, a lot of tears. But I stuck with it, and God knows I was blessed. Well, you know, Mike, uh, you know, let's get into picking your brain. Go for it. <laughs> All right, Mike. Baseball is a game of extreme failure, and anyone who has coached or played knows it's a mental roller coaster. Can you give our listeners some insights into how you manage the ups and downs to ultimately have a 14-year MLB career? You know, that's a great question because uh, Willie Stargell used to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Hall of Famer, first baseman. When I first got to the big leagues with the Pirates, he told me, uh, Mike, you have to learn to deal with failure. Not accept it, but you deal with it, and you learn from it. So from what Willie told me, I took into my career, when I, um, when I fail or don't come through, make an error or strike out or something like that, I don't criticize myself. I analyze myself, and I try to make a change and make a, an adjustment as the game goes on. I don't wait till the next game. I went to that same game right after maybe a strikeout or a misplay or a missed a cutoff man. I just make an adjustment. What did I do wrong? How can I do it right? And just try not to repeat that mistake again. So good, man. <laughs> I think that's what separates the, the good from the great is those in-game adjustments. <laughs> well, you have to make it in-game because a lot of times, you know, I might come up to bat the first at bat and I may pop up or strike out with the bases loaded or a guy in scoring position. And some guys, some players take that into the next at bat. But I think you should separate each at bat, and then you go to the next at bat, learn from the previous at bat, and figure out how the pitcher's picking you, how, what, what he's doing to you, and then make an adjustment, and bam, you know, then you make an adjustment, get the big hit in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning when it really counts. I think that's very insightful. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the, the listeners that can do that can really elevate their game. So, Mike, you know, I feel like people's coaching style definitely changes over the years. Have they get perspective um, as they as they learn from their mistakes and things like that? What What do you say would you know the biggest thing that's changing your coaching style from the beginning till you know twenty eight years later till now? You know, it's um, Joey. What I learned, and I talked to um, you know um, Andy, our brother, and our you know our coach guy we worked with for a long time. Uh, I took, um, I think his name was Robinson. He used to coach with the Grambling uh, football team. Um, he said you got to learn to love the players to really be able to coach the players. 
because your players can really tell when you care about them and that you love them, that you think of them as um, their sons, and they'll go to war for you. They'll, you know, they'll do anything for you. You can't pick out certain guys to like and other guys you don't like. You have to love each one of your players as, um, as your son, you know, and you coach them accordingly, you know. Everybody has a different level of um, a learning, you know, learning capacity. Some are better than others, but you can't outwardly show that bigger difference in a superstar opposed to an average ball player. So I just learned you have to love the players, learn how to gain their confidence, gain their love, and gain their, um, how can I say it, their, um, their dedication to you, and they will do anything for the team to win. And because the team is made up of different players, uh, you got leadoff hitters, second hitters, and you got your power hitters, RBI guys, and you got your guy that you have in for defense, et cetera. So you have to learn to deal with each one of your players in a certain way, but all with love. Absolutely. Building off that a little bit, uh, clubhouses are full of different and sometimes challenging personalities. Uh, managing them is what separates really the good from the great ones. What challenges did you face with this early on, and what advice would you give to coaches struggling with managing personalities? Well, the thing about personality is you got to get to know each one of your players. I mean, I spent, you know, when I first started coaching, um, and managing, I kind of had private conversations with each one at different times. Um, I may be walking around the field when they're taking ground balls and just kind of talk to them. Another guy I may have in the dugout, I may be talking to him. I get to know the person, what makes him tick, um, what gets him excited, what's his pet peeves, et cetera. So mm -hmm. when I learn how to, you know, deal with each player, then I learn how to coach them. I mean, I may scream at one guy. Another guy might pat him on the back and give him, um, you know, that little love. Some guys you give tough love to. Some guys you're not as hard on because they just can't take that type of coaching. So you just have to, you know, individually get with each one of your players at a different times during, like, training camp or before the season to get to know each one of your players. And once you get to know them, then it's pretty much easy how to coach them. That's great advice. So, Mike, I know that you're a lifelong learner. You always told me to be a lifelong learner. What's something that, you know, even after 28 years, you know, something that you just, you know, maybe reinforced lately or something that you just learned recently? You know, you can't, it's, you know, you can't clone like hitters. Uh, you know, basically my expertise is hitting. I, you know, I teach basically the same things in hitting, the fundamentals, the balance, the flexibility, having your hands in a good, um, you know, launching position you know, a short stride, um, when you take your hands to the ball, you keep your head on the ball, and the follow-through. There's certain things that I teach every hitter, but it fits different hitters differently. Some guys can hold on with two hands with a high finish. Other guys like to release the top hand. Um, some guys are more of a pull hitter. Other guys are more, you know, opposite field spray hitters. You have to work with each individual player you know, you know, the way his swing is, you know, because, as I said, you can't clone hitters. You know, you teach them the basic fundamentals of balance, flexibility, short stride, head down, throw your hands to the ball with a good follow-through. But, every, you know, every hitter's swing is different. You know, they may load different. They may go back different. Some like to pick their front leg up. Some like to just take a short stride. So you have to listen to the hitter and watch the hitter and um, then you coach accordingly, you know, just like a guy catching ground balls. Some guys get rid of the ball, 
quicker than others. Some like to throw from the three quarters. Other guys like to get on top. Whatever you know, you have to just work with each individual. And I learned to listen to the players, look at the players, and analyze the players to the point where I don't coach everybody the same. I coach according to his ability. Kind of elaborating on that hitting philosophy you touched on there. Um, obviously, there's a large number of hitting philosophies out there. There's probably many we haven't even heard. Can you go ahead uh, and tell uh, tell the listeners your three keys to your hitting philosophy? Um, <laughs> three keys. <laughs> That's easy, right, Joey? <laughs> yep, I know. I already told him before the podcast. <laughs> I, I put it this way. Here's what I say all the time. Balance plus extension equals damage. <laughs> Meaning you stay on your legs. You keep your head on the ball, you get to the ball short and quick, and then you finish long or you finish high with extension. Balance plus extension equals damage. You know you have to watch the ball when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. So you want to track the ball, then you want to attack the ball. You want to hit the ball to all fields, otherwise you hit the ball where it's pitched. If it's inside, you turn and burn. If it's down the middle, you crush it. If it's outside, you slice it the other way. The ball will dictate your swing. But all in all, balance plus extension equals damage. I told somebody this the other day. I was coaching a kid, and I said, I'm going to give you a secret to hitting. He said, what, what, what? What's the secret? See ball, hit ball. He said, that's all. That's all you need to do. See the ball, hit the ball. I mean, if you think about it, when I was working with Mark McGuire with the St. Louis Cardinals, I say, Mark, what do you think about when you go to home plate? Mark said, I think about the ball. I said, what do you mean? I mean, don't you look for the pitch or look for location? He said, Mike, I look for the ball. When I see ball, I say, ball, 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 attack. Ball, 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 attack. Basically, that was his philosophy, see ball, attack ball. Because you work in your drills with balance and flexibility, staying over the ball, staying back, et cetera. But when you get in the game, you got to eliminate all that thinking, see ball, hit ball. So <laughs> do you think that a lot of coaches and players overcomplicate the hitting process? I think they do. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I know they do. I mean, for a fact, I know. You know, some try to change their stances. They, sometimes you got to make an adjustment with their stance. If they're too wide open and not getting back closed, or if they're too closed, they block their backside off. You know, you just want to get guys in a good athletic position, balance, flexing the knees, get your hands in a nice, I call it from the shoulder length or higher, up by your ear, your hands up kind of, you know, and then just go down and through the ball, down and through the ball. I'll, some people don't like when you say down and through, but to me, down is level. Down is not down toward the ground. You go down, then you go level through the ball, and then you finish high. It's like an arc. You create backspin. That's why you got to have that extension. Because when you get good extension, you create backspin, and backspin is power. Some good stuff. It's so good. That hey, makes sense. Mike, Mike uh-huh. so, man, you just make – you simplize it for everybody. You make hitters that's, – that's why you're so good. I try my best, Joey. You know, the thing about it is I can go up there and do all kind of, you know, hit on one foot or open your body up and hit backwards and – Toss, toss the ball from behind you. I, I don't do all, you know, Joey, I never do all these w- weird type of drills. I like to keep the drill right in the front where you get down and through the ball, you catch the ball out front, and you extend through the ball. You know, because hitters, some guys, some hitters can't, can't 
take in all that coaching, you know, and you make sure you put the you angle the the, the, the you know the, the the knob of the bat to the catcher, and then you come back flat, and then all this it's just too much, you know. I mean, you know, you just want to get the bat at a good forty-five degree angle, take a short stride, and fire them hands at the ball. Because people don't realize when you throw your hands at the ball, you're throwing the bat head at the ball. And that's the key to hitting, getting the bat head on the baseball out front. <laughs> Mike, so, so you told me one time, I don't know if you remember this, but I, this stuck with me for years. As you said, you said, Joey, a hitting coach should not be measured by his best player, but by his worst player. That's and, exactly right. And, you're and right. that stuck you're with right. me. That stuck with me because you told me, you said, you said the great hitters are going to hit, you know? Yes. Um, so can yes. you elaborate? that and unwrap that a little bit more for us? You know, that makes a lot of sense, Joe. You know, every team that I've coached in the big leagues, I, my first big league job was with uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. Then from Milwaukee Brewers, I went to Boston. And then from Boston, I went to the Cardinals and Cardinals to the Dodgers. And the thing about it is my goal when I went to spring training is to watch the guys who are on the bench, the bench players. I really want to get them bench players ready. Because them guys aren't the starters, they're not the great ones, they're just the team players and they're, you know, they're part of the squad, they might not be in every day, but if I can get the bench players a hit, I'm going to get each one of the guys a hit. And I spend a lot of time with the extra guys because anybody can coach the, uh, 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 you know, the Mark McGuire's and the Robin Younts and the, and the Dante Bichette's and the, I mean, but I love to hit the guy like Placido Polanco or a Pat Listash. I don't know if you ever heard of them guys, but. Them guys had great careers after I got finished with them because I wanted that bench to be perfect because them guys needed more work than the superstars. The Bryce Harpers, anybody could coach them guys. You know, guys that just come out the gate swinging, you know, but the extra guys are the guys I try to get ready. And I do that to this day. Every team, because I was in Mexico this past summer, um, you know, last, uh, last summer we won the championship. And my goal was the guys that just the eighth, ninth hitter or the guys that's on the bench, the guy that was struggling, I spend, I try to spend more time with them guys because that, as you say, that measures if you're a good hitting coach or not, if you can get them extra guys and the eighth, ninth, seven, eight, nine guys to hit. Yep, that stuck with me forever. That, you know, that kind of brings, <laughs> that, that brings me into, you know, my next question that I was thinking about is just, you know, Mike, you've done so much. It's been, you know, 28 years. You've achieved so much. You've, you've gone at the, uh, the highest levels you've achieved. You've played at the highest level. You know, what, what drives you? What can, makes you continue to coach? What, what, you know, what are, what are you out there still searching for? The love of the game. I just love the game. I love the game with a passion. And the, and the biggest thing about coaching, Joey, is when you see the look on the kid's face when he gets it. You know when you coach a kid and the kid's been struggling and you've been working with him all spring or all wintertime, all of a sudden, the season starts. All of a sudden, he starts hitting balls all over the field and making good hard contact. Or when the guy hits his first home run, and you see the excitement in his eyes. It takes me back to when I played. I wanted to be coached. I wanted to be coached. All I wanted to do was learn. And I had some bad coaches, Joey, when I was coming up in the minor leagues. I spent 10 years in the minor leagues, and I spent 10 years in winter baseball. And I got a lot of bad coaches when I was young. And I was very frustrated at times. I even thought about quitting a few times in the minor leagues. I got so frustrated with the coaches. I mean, I had coaches laughing at me, making fun of me, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, boy, if I ever get a chance to coach, I'm going to be the, I'm gonna be the most positive coach to, and, and put a smile on these kids' faces I can because I, I know the pain of not being able to hit. I know the pain of not being a great fielder 
or having a great arm. I was an average player that had to bust my tail for everything I got. So I take pride in what I do. And even to this day, if I go coach a kid and I know he's got a really bad swing or he's just not a great ball player, I try to give my best to make him adequate where he can go out there and compete with everybody else. And I think that kind of goes back to patience as a coach. Um, Building off that, what's your best advice for coaches just overall? It's the the word you just said, um, Bo. It's the word you just said is patience. You've got to be patient. You know, I mean, no hitter, no team, or no hitter or anybody is done overnight. You know, it's a process. You know, it's a journey. It's not a destination. You always continue to try to get your guys better. Um, guys, uh, what do you, how can I say it? They're late bloomers. If you heard the word late bloomers, some guys get it, you know, when they're freshmen or sophomore in high school. Other guys get it, you know, don't get it until they're a junior or senior. Some guys don't get it until their senior year. And some guys may end up going to a D1 school or go to a college, and next thing you know, they become, well, I didn't know he was that good a hitter. But all of a sudden, all the things and all the teaching that a coach gives, and that's why you can't never give up on a kid. Just continue to teach fundamentals, continue with the basics, continue with positive and, you know, affirmation of what you're doing, continue to uplift the kid's confidence to the point where you don't know when he's going to jail, you know. And um, some coaches give up on kids, which I hate to see that. And a lot of kids get frustrated and they quit. Oh, I hate to see that in high school because some coaches beat on these kids so bad and, and, you know, criticize them and tell them what they can't do. Instead of me, me telling somebody what they can't do, I always say what you can do and just build on it, build on it to the point where my goal is to get a kid to high, you know, from little league to high school, high school to college, and anything after college is just gravy. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to be a pro. It's hard to make, the, you know, the, the big leagues or get signed to a contract. But you can get a kid a college education if you coach them right. Kind of building off the process there you were talking about, I know you kind of mentioned your journey. At what point did it kind of click for you, and what coaches kind of helped you get over that hump to get to that next level? You know, I think it was like my third year in pro ball, third year. I signed out of high school at 18 years old. So my third year, I was right at 21, 22 years old. Things started to come together. And before that, I had some, as I said, I had some bad coaches. Um, coaches that criticized me, laughed at me, et cetera. And um, I just was really frustrated my first two years of playing. All of a sudden, my third year, I went to the Florida State League, and um, and I started hitting. I don't know. It just started happening. I, I hit 293 that year with 11 home runs in the Florida State League with the, with the Houston Astros organization. It just started to happen, you know, and – because I just kept listening to the coaches, listening to the positive coaches, listening to what things were telling me. I was talking to other players, and eventually I got it, you know, and I just started hitting. Then my confidence started to build up. And then my, you know, my fourth year, fifth year, I went to double-A ball. I was like 22, 23 years old. And all of a sudden, when I was about 25, 26, I was in double and triple-A. And I just started to hit. I mean, I could hit anybody then. My confidence level just – but I was like, I was what you call a late bloomer, just like I just said. I didn't get it right away, but eventually when I got it, they couldn't stop me. <laughs> Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I hit, I hit 300 seven out of ten times in the minor leagues, out of my ten years in the minor leagues, and I won two batting titles. In 1976, I hit 352 with 26 home runs in Tulsa, triple away for the uh, Cardinals. 
Then I went back to Columbus with the Pirates. I hit three thirty with 18 home runs and won the international batting title. And then finally I got to the big leagues in 79. And that's the year the Pirates won the World Series. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, see, that's the, that's the thing, too. You told me back in the day, Mike, if you couldn't hit over 300, you know, you weren't oh, no way uh, you were touching the lineup. Nowadays, it's a lot different. I know it's terrible. I mean, I can't believe these guys. They say, oh, I had two hit, 250, 260. I had a great year. Great year. Man, that is such a bad year. I'm sorry. <laughs> 240, 250 is unacceptable. I mean, my goal every year was to hit 320. And if I hit anything around 290, 300, I had to hit 300. I had to. I mean, as an outfielder and a guy with power, and I was not a great outfielder, and I, would, I didn't have much speed. So I had to hit 300 plus, and I had to hit 10, 15, 20 home runs. But I put the work in. I mean, I worked my tail off, Joey. I, you know, during the wintertime, I went to winter ball for 10 years. And in between winter ball, I was in the garage. My wife throwing me black beans and bottle tops and rocks. I was, I was determined to make contact, you know. My wife, you know, we've been married for almost 46 years now. And she would been with me my whole road, you know. And she, she literally used to throw me black beans and bottle tops to hit. Because I just wanted my hand and eye coordination to be, be perfect. And also in the minor leagues, I used to use a, I had a big trash can. I put rice in it. And I used to dig in there and build my hand strength up in the rice, you know, and do all kind of exercise in the rice to build my hand speed up, my hand strength. I just did whatever it took to be a good hitter, man. And, but nowadays, man, they hit 240, 250, they walk around like they're keen. Plus, they're getting paid. The teams are paying for that. And that's weird, man. But, you know, that's a change of times. But, you know, I hit 30 home runs and I hit 210, 220. That is, ugh, that's terrible. And if I'm coaching that kid, that kid ain't no amen for me. I said, no, 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 no. We got to set our guys, you know, I mean, every major league team that I went with, no, 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 no. You got to hit 280 plus, man. Or we got to keep working off work until our hands bleed. Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of funny how the game has changed, isn't it? No, it has changed, you know, but that's just the way it is, you know. I mean, the thing about it is most players in my era, you know, we're not jealous of the guys that make so much money and this, that, and other. We just wish that they would take a little more pride in the batting average and their whole game, you know, learn how to bunt, getting guys over, hitting, running, put the ball in play, you know, moving the runner, you know, just the fundamentals of the game. And um, I think that's why the Astros won this year. The Astros did the little things. I think that coach did a super job of having them guys fundamentally sound, hit to the opposite field, using the whole field, bunt when they had to bunt, hit and run, put the ball in play. You know, and I and I think that's why the Astros beat the Dodgers because I think they just had a more fundamentally sound baseball team. I like the way he coached. Yeah, I think you hit that one right on the head. Let's transition here a little bit, Mike. Baseball players are known to be superstitious creatures. What superstitions did you have as a player or as a coach? <laughs> well, everybody have their little whatever you want to call it, superstition or whatever. I used to actually walk the home plate, and I kind of kissed my bat on the side. No one could see it. <laughs> my bat was my, that was my partner. That was my right-hand man. Without my bat, I wouldn't have been the hit man, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of snuck a little kiss on my bat when I walked up. I used to, actually, I used to say a little prayer, you know. And um, another thing I used to do, I used to, um, before the game started, when they played the national anthem, I used to look up in the air 
and see if I see birds flying around, you know. And I, I love birds, and I thought of an angel watching over me. And uh, I'm kind of weird. I'm weird like a lot of ball players. And I used to always like to wear long sleeve shirts. For some reason, I like long sleeve shirts. Um, I think Dick Allen. I don't know if you ever heard of Dick Allen. He used to play for the Phillies and the Chicago mm-hmm. White Sox. He wore long sleeves all the time. It just looked good when you. I'd have to show my guns, you know. I let my <laughs> I let the ball jump it off my bat, show my guns, and uh, I used to wear long sleeves. But the biggest thing is kissing the bat, maybe, and looking for birds up in the air before I um, before the game. You weren't you weren't Yasiel Puig and getting your tongue in there, were you? <laughs> no, not that bad. I just kind of, I just kind of gave it a little, a little kiss, a, a little smudge. And say, hey, let's do our job. Let's go to work. I love my bats. My bats, my bats were my right hand man. I love bats with a passion. And I used to, when I used to get a dozen bats in the big leagues, I I sit down in the corner like on Christmas time and look for the best wood and the best, you know, the wood that had the biggest grain or whatever like that. And I used to feel them and. And I used to number them on the end of it, one bat, two bat, three bat, you know, like that. So I love bats, and I still love bats to this day. Mike, we had a – I got the scouting report on you. I know, I, I know that you've had a lot of weird superstitions. I've heard so many stories of all the, the weird mm-hmm. things, but baseball players do weird things, you know, gets them locked in. And, uh, but uh, I wanted to ask you about your – and have you – you know, because it's just a great story. If you can tell your uh, Nolan Ryan story. Mm. Nolan Ryan, Nolan Ryan, you know, I had a, you know, it's funny. In 1976, I got traded from the Cardinals to the Angels organization. And Nolan Ryan was in his young days then. And I went to the bullpen to watch him warm up in September of 1976. So he was warming up, you know, nice and easy, pop, pop, then it looked like he got loose. So I sat down there and watched him. I said, man, I can hit Nolan Ryan. After I was watching about 15, 20 pitches, all he said, now I'm ready, now I'm going to get loose. And, man, he let that 96, 97-mile-per-hour fastball go. I said, wow, this man is unbelievable. (laughs) Then I was with the Pirates. He was with the Astros. He had a chance. I had a chance finally to face Nolan Ryan. But I faced him a few times before that, and I got my hits off his fastball. And, you know, he blew me away every, every once in a while, but I got my hits. But this one time, I was in um, I was in Houston. Nolan Ryan pitching. I said, okay, I got to gear it up now. I got to turn my bat up to about 96, 97. First at bat, curveball, changeup, curveball, struck out. I said, are you shucking me? <laughs> <laughs> Next time at bat, curveball, changeup, changeup, curveball, struck me out again. I said, man, this man is unbelievable. This man throwing 96, 97, throwing me that junk. <laughs> but I said, this time I know he's going to throw me fastball. I know it. Third time up, change up, split finger, curveball, <laughs> change up, struck me out again. I felt so embarrassed. I said, I'm sitting there looking for fastball, and this man is throwing me change up, curveball. So I said, this is the fourth time up. He's still in the ball game, just blowing us away, blowing them away. He wasn't blowing me away. He was fooling me, getting me out front and swinging off my front foot and everything else. So I said, okay, now nah, I got something for you, know. I'm going to sit on that curveball and change up. I'm going to take you the other way, man. And I said, there's no way you can get me out this time. First pitch, 96. I looked at it. What are you doing? Second pitch, 97. I said, bam, strike two. Third pitch, it had to be close to 100. And I swung through that ball. He struck me out four times that day, and I went back. I swear. 
I said, this man is unbelievable. <laughs> the next spring training, we have a game in um, Cooperstown. They call it the Hall of Fame game. I went to Red Sox. Red Sox played the Astros in the Hall of Fame game. Nolan was in the same clubhouse. I went over. I said, Nolan, what you doing throwing me curveballs and change-ups? And I said, you throw 90. He said, well, Mike, you know, he talked in that, that Texas draw. Well, Mike, you was killing my fastball. Before that, I got smart. I said, I'm going to throw you curveballs and change-ups, and look what happened. Struck me out four times. I said, Nolan, you are the greatest. And he, we laughed about it. But that man was super. I said, I can't believe you threw me curveball and change up. He said, well, you're killing the fastball. <laughs> Nolan was not only a great pitcher, he was a smart pitcher. And that's the difference in the pitchers back in our day. Steve Carlton, Don Sutton, um, Don Wilson. I mean, um, I can go on and on. Them old guys, they knew not only did they have good stuff, they knew how to pitch, and I think that's the difference in the kids nowadays. They got these hard throwers, 96, 97, but they, you know, they throw most of the fastball. All they do is sit on the fastball, dial it up, and you're going to get them. But back then, they mixed it up with curveballs, change-ups, splits, and the biggest thing is back in our day, they knocked you down. I mean, literally threw at your neck if you took too big a swing. Bob Gibson said, hey, look, you can't have both sides of the plate. I got to get one of them. I mean, them guys were so nasty. I mean, but... That's a competitive of baseball, and um, but Nolan Ryan was a smart man, man. That man struck me out four times, and and I'm happy to tell that story. I don't, yeah, I, I don't feel ashamed about it because I wasn't the only one. He struck out about five thousand people, so it don't make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan Ryan, he was one of the greatest pitchers that ever lived. Um, you know, I heard another funny story when Dustin Pedroia was coming up in the system. Do you mind sharing that 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 story with the listeners? Oh, Dustin Pedroia. Who t- I told you that, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in spring training. I'm in spring training with the Dodgers, right? And I'm on the bench. You know, we, we're at Vero Beach, and we got to walk across the field to get to the um, to the dugout. And it's an open dugout, you know. I mean, they don't even have no top over the dugout at um, Vero Beach. So everybody got out there, you know. Next thing you know, we see this little dude coming across the field with like two or three bats in his hand. We said, look at this little dude, man. This guy's about five foot six, you know, carrying bats. We said, man, he must be the bat boy carrying the ball for somebody. <laughs> Next thing you know, I mean, carry the bat for somebody. Next thing you know, man, he's leading off. They said right field. Bam! They said left field. Who's this little son of a birch beer? Man, this guy is swinging that bat like no tomorrow. I mean, just all at the end of the year, Dustin Pedroia's rookie of the year. We said, oh, that's the bat boy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, this guy is, and you can see now he's one of the best ball players in the big leagues. The size doesn't matter in baseball, and I always say that. You know, some kids say, well, college don't want him. He's too small or this, that small. Man, small don't mean nothing because nobody can read what you got in your heart. And the same thing with the guy for um, Artuve for Houston. Man, that he... little dude just, man, that dude, Artuve, whatever his name is, Mm-hmm. That dude can buggy with. He's a baseball player, man, and I love it, man. But, well, I tell you, Dustin Pedroia, well, I caught that field. We thought he was a bad boy. Ended up being rookie of the year that year. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Little did we know, right? <laughs> so funny. Hey, uh, Mike, I know this is a big part of your life, so I know I had to get this in. Is I know you're a man of God, and I know, that, like you said, you've talked multiple times about the prayers and everything like that. What role do you think you know, God's put, gone in your journey, and what role has he played in your life? 
You know, it's funny, Joey. Um, in high school, I went to a tournament. And at the tournament in uh, Columbus, Ohio, we went to a, like a, uh, what do you call it, a flea market or something like that. We were walking around. And I saw a little, um, a little plaque, and it says, um, Jesus never fails, J-N-F. Jesus never fails. And I grew up a Catholic in Catholic school. I went to all-boys school, you know, I mean, you know, high school, et cetera. So God has always been very important to me in my life. I mean, just from, you know, when I was younger. But I picked up the saying JNF, JNF. I used to put it on everything. At the end of my letters, when I write letters, when I write stuff, somebody asked me, what does that mean, JNF? You know, Jesus never fails. Okay. Now, my dad told me a story one time. I don't think I ever told you this, Joy. He said, Mike, I know you like to pray, and I know you believe in God. He said, God gave us all talent. I said, but when you go to home plate, don't be praying for a hit. I said, why? Why not? He said, because the pitcher on the mound might be a Christian too, and he's praying to strike you out. <laughs> and you put God in a bad position. <laughs> so he told me, You'll get the hit if you're prepared. Work hard, give everything you got. Don't be praying for no hit. Just pray to be ready and that you put the work in. And I've learned that now. <laughs> some days I swear to goodness, some days I did, but I said, Lord, I am, I am struggling today. Please help me. Please, God. <laughs> but I learned to be prepared. Preparation is the key to success. Preparation. And then, uh, Mike, if you could, if you could pick after all these years, you know, all these years of playing, all these years of coaching, you know, um, what would you want at the end of at the end of it all? You know, when when God calls you up, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered as? You know, at the end of my resume, and I got this from my mother, and I'm trying to remember what it is. I know what it is. I know what I'm trying to say, but it's just that I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> um. Well, I used to sing this song, too. If I could help somebody as I pass along, if I could help somebody with a word or song, then my living would not be in vain. I try to give the talent that God gave me, I try to give it away through coaching. I try to uplift people, uplift people when they're down. I like to see people happy, not sad. There's enough sadness in this world already. But there's something I used to say at the end of my resume, and I can't remember it, but it's along them lines. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can help somebody with a word or song, then my living will not be in vain. And that's what I do when I coach. Coaching is like, like my ministry, in a sense. When I coach a kid, I'm coaching the whole kid, just not the talent. I'm coaching his mind, his spirit, and just everything, because I know that's what it takes to be a good ball player and a good person. And when I leave that person, I want to leave that person with a smile. And I want that person to be happy and feel good about themselves. Because life is kind of tough, you know. You never know what guys are going through at home with their family, you know, with their parents or whatever the situation is. So when I coach them, I try to, put, I, I try to be a light to them so they can be happy people, just not good baseball players. Absolutely. That really is good stuff. Um, Mike, hearing you talk, it's, it's it's obvious that you're in the business to help other people. You're not in it for yourself. Um, well, that's basically it. And, you know, I should, I, you know, I should do a little more advertising and 
pushing my brand or whatever I do. And Joey knows I don't do that. I mean, if it happens, it happens. If they come to me, most of the time it's word of mouth. You know, I've tried to push myself and uplift myself, but it's just not me. It's just not me. If somebody wants to, you know, even with teams, major league teams, you know, I mean, I, I could have been more whatever, visual or whatever. I just, I just like to do my job, and I just want guys to do well and to hit and to feel good about themselves. And, um, and that's just what I do. That's just what I do. Absolutely. Well, as, as we're getting to the end here, Mike, um, what are some ways people can get in touch with you, you know, as far as lessons or connecting, you know, social media questions or comments about what we've talked about? Well, um, the biggest thing is my, my email is um, me, the hitman, me, the hitman at gmail.com. Me, the hitman at gmail.com. I mean, if anybody is in the Vegas area, in Las Vegas or wherever, or if, um, if a team wants me to come and work with a team or individuals want to fly, if they're in Vegas at one time, they want to reach me, they can reach me through my email at methehitman at gmail.com. And um, we can set it up there. Um, I like to work hour at a time when I first get a student. After that, I try to work half an hour because you know, it takes me three, I'd say two to three lessons to really get somebody on the right track. And I work here in Vegas at prime time, um, you know, batting cages, prime time batting cages. And um, I go to some people's houses sometimes, but, you know, I like to travel around and do, you know, speak to groups. Um, they can reach me again at the meetahitman at gmail.com, speak to teams. I could do team lessons, whatever. But the biggest way to, you know, the best way to reach me is me, the hitman at gmail.com. Mike, I just wanted to speak on that too at the end is, guys, to give you some example of how good Mike is, is, you know, we had, we had our high school team out here in Utah and there's, there's a, a particular hitter that I was, I could tell, you know, he just, he's one of those guys that likes um, to fillet, likes, he just like one handed swings all the time. And I'm trying to get him to use his yeah. top hand. Me and Mike really talk about top hand and a lot of the time. And I'm, I just, you know, we keep doing one hand drills and everything. And I just can't get him to use his top hand. So we go down to Vegas, um, we're hitting and Mike comes and just takes a peek. And I'm like, I'm like, Mike, you know, I, I know you're going to see the same thing I'm seeing. How do I fix this? And within three swings, he gives the simplest <laughs> answer and it fixes it. He goes, have him swing with two hands. He swings with two That's hands it. and starts hitting rockets to the back of the cage. Rockets to the back of the cage. And I'm like, <laughs> man, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. Like, I've been working jo for months. <laughs> Joe, is he, is he still hitting with two hands now in the same he's kid? Still, oh, you better bet he's still hitting with two hands. He's the um, lovely. He's a... Not exactly. That's the word I was going to say. He's buddy with the now. See, that's what I mean, Joey, about every kid is different. You know, some guys can release the top hand with no problem, and, and you know, and they hit with power or whatever. And other guys, you know, two-handed, and they're rolling over and hooking everything. But if they – see, I was a two-handed hitter. Well, you know my finish. I was two-handed high finish. Greatest and, finish of uh, all time. I could, I could, yeah, I could, I could almost um, – yeah, I could feel a hitter when he's – when he's lacking something, but sometimes when you use that top hand right, man, you hit some bullets, man, because you throw that top hand with vengeance, you know. And um, but it's funny, you know. I just, I mean, it's just I've seen so many hitters, Joey, that I can kind of see things that I guess other people can't see. <laughs> yeah, and you just know how to, you know how to fix it. Sometimes too, I think that's the biggest thing is sometimes people see 
the symptoms, you know, but they don't see the real sickness or, or they see, you know, they see the problem, but they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to, you know, diagnose it and, and, and give out the prescription. I think that's something that, you know, obviously through time that you've really developed. And that's what happened. It's time. It's definitely time, you know, because my last two years in Japan, I started really studying, hitting the mechanics and the fundamentals and the body movement. I haven't got as technical as I could. Uh, I had a chance to uh, be around Reggie Smith, and Reggie Smith has done a scientific study of hitting. I mean, with computers and machines and swing arcs and he, he, you know he's really into that you know i am to an extent but something digitally digitally you cannot fix you got to fix it just with your eye and instinct of what a hitter should do you know because um everybody's not going to have that perfect swing on a video i mean some guys going to start different you know and the swing's going to look weird but if they get the bad head out at the right time, you know, I mean, because everybody, when they stride, everybody should basically land in the same position, hands back, hands loaded, ready to attack. And then from there, you know, everybody swing a little different, and it's not going to be perfect. No swing is perfect, but if you're hitting that ball to all fields and, you know, you slice, as you say, fillet the ball to opposite field or whatever like that at the right time, you know, and I mean, everybody's different. You can't be scientifically perfect. You just got to know the kid, know his his body makeup and um and if you make the right adjustment he will be become a better hitter i mean exactly like to to your point i mean you know look at hunter pence you know look at you know gary sheffield yes. all that swinging i mean yes. guys yes. you know yes. you got guys like ripkin that used to change his swing every week you know and uh yes. Yes. you know it yes. where you start yes. you can start at a million different places but i i you know mm -hmm. you've taught me that you know over the years you can start wherever you want but you know there's certain key components and you know where you where you need to be Exactly, because when you stride, everything should be back. I call it you got to load before you explode. A lot of guys don't load. They end up going forward, and you got to load before you explode, because if you don't load, you can't explode. Otherwise, you're going to be pushing the bat through the zone, and you're going to get no pop on the ball. You know, you want to go back kind of away from the target to go through the target. That makes sense. <laughs> Mike. Mike, you know, I can't tell you, you know, how much we appreciate you jumping on. And I'm, I can't uh, tell you how much, you know, the listeners are going to appreciate you getting on and stealing from some of your knowledge and letting us pick your brain. I just wanted to say, you know, thank you again from the farm system and me and Bo personally. Um, it's just been such a pleasure. Well, I wish the farm system and your um, podcast to be very successful. You guys know the game. You understand the game. But most, of time, but most of all, I, I can feel you guys love the game. And the knowledge that you're going to pass off to your viewers, I think, is going to be super. I mean, they're going to hear things and see things and, you know, and you get understanding of what you guys are trying to do. And you're bringing out some good points and you're asking great questions. And I think this, um, you know, this, um, the farm system is going to be a great success for you guys. And I wish you nothing but the best. We appreciate that, Mike. Appreciate it, Mike. All right, Bo. All right, Joey. Well, God bless you guys, and um, I wish you success. And the uh, biggest thing is balance plus extension equals damage. <laughs> and let's not forget. And let's not forget. See ball, hit ball. <laughs> Man, what a great episode! We could pull so much from that. This week's call takeaway is sponsored by. Wait, we don't have a sponsor for this call's takeaway. Holy smokes! We don't have a sponsor. This spot seems like a perfect opportunity to advertise your business you can contact us through our website the system.farm 
So, Bo, what was this week's call takeaway for you? You know, Joey, there's a lot of great things Mike hit on. For me, I actually took two away. From a, from a player's perspective, um, what, what really stood out to me was the preparation leads to success. And from the coach's side, um, you know, Mike touched on how the game is constantly changing, but real authentic coaches last. So those were the two for me. What about you? Yeah, man, those are great. Um, I think it just came back to that old saying, they don't care what you know until that they know that you care. And when they know that you are for them, when you care about them, when you care about their interest, you care about their life, you care about the man they're going to be, they're going to become, I think they're going to run through a wall for you. And I think that's what it came back to. And Mike constantly hit on. So those are my two call takeaways. Really is great stuff. Well, we thank you listeners for tuning in. Um, we really appreciate your support and we hope you found this episode insightful. Yeah, guys, you know, just like always share with whoever you think this will add value to get connected with us on social media get on our website, use our resources. And then also to guys, contact us, tell us comments, you know, things that you, you love, you know, share, you know, anything you guys can do with, you know, contact us, what you want to hear, anything like that. You know, we're, we're open ears for you guys. Well, until next time, farm system out.